0: Welcome! Happy 4th of July, all of you here in the room, all of you online. My name is Hudson, I'm our youth pastor here at Illuminate, and I have the amazing privilege to open up God's Word with you all this morning. So I figured what a better way to start our series in Acts, we will be in Acts 12 today, than with a confession. And the confession is that I have a love-hate relationship with the book of Acts. I'm just going to get it out there right at the beginning. I love it because in one sense it reminds me of when I first became a Christian. I was 17 years old, and overnight, God transformed my life from a drug addict who got kicked out of his house to a high school student who carried his Bible to every single class with him so he could read it in between classes. And I had a group of friends that had a similar story to mine, and we would meet on Friday nights, and we would worship God, we would sing, and we would pray for hours on end. And then on Saturdays, we'd go downtown, and we'd serve the homeless, we'd pass out food and socks, and we'd pray with them, and we'd share our testimonies. And on some occasions, you would find us screaming, Jesus loves you from the street corner. It was an amazing time in my life, but I did say that it was a love-hate relationship. You see, over time, life happened. College, work, relationships, and eventually living on mission for God became nothing more than just making sure I got to church every week. And I share that with you because I'm sure some of you in this room, you once felt a call, a passion, a purpose for how you were going to live on mission for God. But then life happened, distractions happened. And that was even before COVID. I mean, 2020 took just about every single one of us out of the game. And the worst part of that was the battle was maybe never greater. And now as society is re-emerging, the fact that the harvest is plentiful, yet the laborers are few, has maybe never been more true. And what we see through this series in the book of Acts, How to Change the World, is a call for us to re-enlist in the battle. And I want to take a second just to pause, because some of you You've been fighting on the front lines this whole time. And I just wanna say thank you because our church would not be where it is today. Our community would not be where it is today if it wasn't for so many of you faithfully serving. And I hope today serves as just an encouragement to you to keep taking ground for the gospel, to keep fighting the battle because God is doing a work here. He is transforming lives and we get to be a part of it by partnering with him in his mission. And my hope today is to take that idea and just get really practical with it. Because what we're going to see in Acts chapter 12 is how the early church prepared and engaged their hearts for battle. In fact, my big idea for today is this. Faithful prayers prepare and engage our hearts for battle. Quick recap on the book of Acts. Acts starts with Jesus in chapter one and his ascension into heaven. But before he leaves, he gives a command to his disciples, thus giving it to us. And it says, "This you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." That's his command. He ascends into heaven Then chapter two. Acts chapter two. Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, and they begin preaching Jesus. And it's this amazing time where thousands of people are getting saved, and we see the formation of the early church. But about as soon as the church is formed, persecution hits. And God, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty, actually uses this persecution to accomplish his Jesus command. Because as the church begins to be persecuted, they take the gospel message out into Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. However, our context for today finds us back in Jerusalem with a guy named Herod. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and it says this, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So there are many Herods in the Bible. We actually heard Jason refer to one last week. And the one we have today is King Herod Agrippa I. And he is the grandson of Herod the Great. That's the Herod we read about during the Christ, around Christmas time. So Herod, Agrippa I the first, he had an interesting relationship with Rome. And by that, I mean Rome didn't like this guy. In fact, in his youth, he got in some trouble and he actually found himself arrested and in jail. But in Acts chapter 12, we find him ruling over all of northern Palestine, which even came to include Judea and Samaria as well. So this is a large territory. And because he had this rocky relationship with Rome, he needed the support of the Jews. And so what he realizes is the Jews like it when I kill Christians. So what does he do? He gets his hand on a Christian, one of the leaders of the church, James, and he kills James. And for all of my youth students in the room, we've been studying the book of James. This was a different James. This was James, the disciple, the son of Zebedee. So he kills James, and then as soon as he can, he gets his hands on Peter, throws Peter in jail, and he plans to execute him. And this is where we continue reading in Acts verse, or chapter 12, verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Herod grabs Peter and throws him in prison, but we get this detail with four squads of soldiers watching him. And within these four squads of soldiers, there would have been four soldiers each, two of which would have been physically chained to Peter. This is maximum security prison. We have to ask the question, why all this trouble for this apostle Peter? Well, see, Peter had a reputation for himself. This is the third time in the book of Acts that Peter's been arrested. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John get thrown in jail, and the people that throw them in jail end up letting them go, but they tell them, stop preaching about Jesus. Well, they continue to preach about Jesus. Acts 5 rolls around. Peter, as well as some of the other apostles, gets thrown in jail. But this time, an angel breaks them out. And they go right back to preaching about Jesus. So here, King Herod gets Peter in Acts chapter 12, and he is taking no chances with Peter getting out. Herod meant business. He already killed James. Now he has Peter. And the church is nervous. But what do we see them doing? Verse 5, it says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the church, though they're fearful, they made earnest prayers to God for him. Now, I'll be honest. We're just going to keep kind of confessing things to you all this morning. I'm a Christian. You might be able to relate to that. And for that reason, people come to me and they say, hey, this thing's going on in my life, small things, big things. Would you pray for me? Now, I am not the type of sinner that says, yeah, I'll pray for you, then never prays for them. Not that type of sinner. However, I am the type of sinner that oftentimes will just kind of lump it into my prayer before dinner. God be with this person, thank you for the meatloaf, amen, let's eat. But fortunately, that's not how the church right here is praying. This word for earnest prayers is interesting. The word earnest here means stretching a muscle to its limit. In fact, it's the same word we see used for, to describe Jesus' prayer when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested and ultimately killed. In fact, it says that Jesus is praying so earnestly, his sweat becomes like drops of blood. This is intense praying. Like I say, this is CrossFit prayer stretching a muscle to its limit. And they didn't just pray once, but we see the church up all night praying for Peter. It's probably because the church knew that faithful prayers prepare and engage our hearts for battle. In verse 6, the action begins to happen, and we see that Peter is sound asleep, and you ask, Hudson, how do you know he's sound asleep? Well, this thing happens in Arizona in the summer, around 5.30 every single morning, some light shines in my bedroom window, and I am wide awake. We see that happening with Peter. This angel appears in his jail cell, and it says a light shines throughout the cell. The angel probably assumes he'd wake up, looks down, Peter's still asleep, he has to kick him a little bit, nudges him to wake him up. And then we see that the angel has to give him step-by-step directions on how to get his shoes on and how to get his cloak on. He's so out of it. The angel here got a first-hand experience of what it's like having junior hires at summer camp. <laughs> but eventually Peter gets dressed, he gets his shoes on, gets his cloak, and they begin to walk out right past the guards. And they make it to Herod's gate. Herod would have had a large iron gate, and I love what it says. It says the gate opened on its own accord. So Peter and the angel walk out of the gates. They're headed towards the city. The angel takes off. And at that moment, Peter realizes this was not a dream. God has broken me out of jail. It's an amazing story. Now, it's fun to poke fun at Peter in this scene. And I actually think Luke, the author of Acts, intends to use some humor and use some irony here, and especially because of something he's going to say in a minute. But I don't want us to miss what Peter's teaching us. Because I imagine that if I'm in Peter's situation, I'm not sleeping well. Not only is he in jail, but he's got two large, hairy, smelly guards chained to him. I have no idea if they're big, smelly, or hairy at all. It doesn't say that. I just imagine that's what they're like. But more than that, it's the night before he's going to be executed. If it's me, I don't think that I'm getting very much sleep. Peter seems fearless in the face of death, and it's the same demeanor we see from Paul and from many of the Christian martyrs, and I want you to just sit and ask the question for a minute. How can they stand so fearless in the face of death? I don't think the answer is going to blow your minds at all, but I do want us to sit here and ponder this for a minute. See, they trusted God and his plan for their life, because faithful prayers give us an eternal perspective. This is the third time Peter's been arrested. God's already got him out twice, and he knows that if it's God's will for him to survive, God will break him out a third time. But he also knows that if it's God's will that he would die, God's still going to receive the glory. And guess what? Peter gets his reward, and he's going home. The reason I believe the gospel does so well among persecution is because Christians who are persecuted, Christians who face death because of their faith, I think they actually begin to know what the Christian life is all about. I want us to see what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. He's writing this from jail, facing an inevitable uh, execution. And here's what Paul says. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul, you, myself, either we're going to keep living or we're going to die. And what a mature Christian realizes is that as soon as we say that Jesus is Lord of our life, our life isn't our own anyway. And we understand that if we're alive, it's because God still has work for us to do. And if we die, we get our reward. We get to go home. Now I understand some of you being in the battle, especially this last year, has cost you something. It's cost you relationships. Maybe it's caused tension in your marriage. Maybe you no longer have a relationship with one of your children because of the last year. Maybe you've had to stand up for your beliefs, your conviction, and your faith at work in a way that you weren't emotionally, mentally, or spiritually ready to do. And for some of us, we know what entering the battle is going to cost. Jesus makes it clear, the world hated him and it's going to hate us as well. But here's the good news, Jesus overcame the world and he is the proof of the resurrection. And so we enter the battle knowing that it may even cost us our life, but we know that though the battle may cost us our life, the war has already been won, the decision has already been made, Jesus gets the victory. See, faithful prayers give us an eternal perspective. And Peter had this perspective. Peter is resting, knowing whatever may happen, it's God's will, and God will receive the glory. The church also had this perspective. But we don't see them sitting back and doing nothing. We see them up all night making earnest prayers on Peter's account. And so we continue reading in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. This is why I think Luke's trying to be a little bit humorous because here it is, this girl named Rhoda, she's obviously been in the house. She's been hearing these prayers being made for Peter all night. She gets to the gate where there's knocking and she clearly knows Peter well enough to recognize his voice. She realizes God has answered our prayers. And so in her excitement, what does she do? She leaves the fugitive, the guy on the run who might have guards after him Outside and then goes back inside to tell the people who were praying for him. And then we see their response in verse 15. They said to her, You were out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. So our girl wrote a report to the people God has answered our prayers. And the people respond, No, no. There's no way. It has to be his angel. There's no way that Peter's at the gate. Hopefully this is encouraging to some of us that even this early church, all the faith they had, the way they prayed for everything, they still had some doubts. However, let's not miss that they continued to pray regardless of those doubts because faithful prayers prepare and engage our hearts for battle So my question for you is this, if faithful prayers are an indication of how prepared we are, of how engaged we are in the battle, in the battle just being God's mission in the world to fulfill what Jesus commanded us to take the gospel into our communities and into the world, if it's a sign of how engaged we are, how are you doing? You might be thinking, come on Hudson, is prayer really that great an indicator of how engaged we are? Well, I think so. I really do. But I also understand your concern. I already said that I have a love-hate relationship with the book of Acts, and one of the points of tension for me is just the way the early church prayed. I mean, come on. These people are praying about everything. It's not that they're praying. They're praying with faith. They're praying with expectation that God's gonna show up, and they're praying in the spirit, and they're experiencing God in a way that I just don't feel like I always experience in my prayers. Even more than that, I've had seasons of my life as a Christian where I just don't like to pray. You guys are judging me, but I know enough of you to know I'm not the only one here. I mean, praying can be hard. Praying can seem redundant. It can seem boring. And honestly, it feels irresponsible sometimes. If something wrong is going on in my life, why would I stop and pray for it when I go out and start fixing whatever it is that's going on? But if I'm going to get even more to the heart Of the issue. Maybe the reason we struggle with prayer, maybe the reason some of you don't like my big idea for today, is because we know what it's like to pray for things, good things, godly things, and to have them still not go our way. I mean, we've prayed for friends and family members who have been sick, just to watch them get worse and sometimes even die. We know what it's like to pray for broken marriages just to watch it end in divorce and a broken home. We know what it's like to pray for our loved ones and our friends who are struggling with mental health, who have had thoughts of suicide and self-harm, who struggle with depression and anxiety. We see them struggle with it their whole life and it just never seems to get better. We know what it's like to pray for promotions and for a job and to have these things not go our way. And we sit back and wonder, what on earth is God doing? And I say all that, and I've experienced all that. And I do want to say I've also experienced God come through and answer prayers in ways I never imagined He would. But if you're sitting here today and you're struggling with that fear, and maybe that frustration, you're not alone. There are probably other people in this room struggling with that same thing. Not only are you not alone, but your feelings are valid in that. I totally understand why you would feel that way. Because after we pray, enough times for God to move and we don't see him move, honestly, we just begin to not trust God anymore. And if you're in that place, it's okay. But I want to encourage you today, don't leave it there. Continue to bring those fears, continue to bring those doubts, continue to bring those frustrations to God, and continue to bring them to your community here at Illuminate. Continue to bring them to godly people who will encourage you, who will love you, but also continue to point you back to Jesus. And I think we already are a church that does this, but let's be a church that when our friends and our community comes to us with these doubts and these fears and these insecurities about how to be a Christian, that we love them well, that we encourage them and that we point them back to Jesus. So then the question remains, why should you continue to press on if that's you today? Well, here's one reason. You have family members, you have friends, you have people in your community, you have children that are in desperate need of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see in Acts that it's our responsibility to partner in God, to partner with God, to take that gospel message into our families, into our friend groups, into our communities, and into the world. And what's the first step to engaging in battle? Faithful prayers. Not because God's gonna answer all of our prayers, but because when we are faithful in prayer, it aligns our desires With God's, To frame that in scripture for you, when we abide in Christ through faithful prayers, or sorry, we abide in Christ through faithful prayers. And look what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse seven through eight. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now we don't know exactly what the church was praying. I assume that they were praying that Peter would be released. I imagine they prayed that James wouldn't have died. But even more than that, I imagine they are praying, God, whatever the outcome may be, your will be done, and may you receive the glory. Because he always will, and he always does. We find the church in a dark place in this story. Things are looking bad for them. Herod's got power. Herod is grabbing and killing Christians, and it seems like nothing can stop him. But this is why it's important that we abide in Christ. Here is why prayer is how we prepare and engage for battle. Because Herod may seem big. Herod may seem like he has power. Herod may even be sitting on a throne. But abiding in Christ reminds us that our God sits on the throne, and he crushes, destroys, and laughs at those who come against him, his people, and his church. And because the church took seriously this command to abide in Christ, they also knew this, that faithful prayers remind us who is on the throne. And because the church knew their scriptures, they knew what Psalm 2 said. And I know they know what Psalm 2 said, because in Acts 4, when Peter and John get released from prison, they meet up with some other Christians and they begin reciting Psalm 2 together. Because here's what Psalm 2 says, starting in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in duration. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Herod made a plot against God and his people. So let's see how it plays out for Herod. Uh, Acts 12, verse 21 says this, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Why did Luke, the author of Acts, choose to put this chapter right in the middle of this narrative of the early church forming and the gospel going out into the ends of the earth? I believe he put it here because he knows as we engage in battle, we're going to face opposition. Some of you have been facing opposition. And Luke wants us to know that even if our opposition seems powerful, even if it seems big, even if it could actually take your life, we do not need to fear. And we do not need to back down because our God sits on the throne over all of the cosmos and he has the back of his people and his church. These Christians were scared. These Christians felt hopeless. But when Herod came with power, they came with prayer. And Acts ends with Herod dead and Peter freed. Faithful prayers prepare and engage our hearts for battle. So my challenge for us this week It's simple, and it's practical, but I encourage you to practice this with us. So my challenge is every day for the next seven days, I want you to pray. And every day for the next seven days, I want you to pray for the same thing. And in that prayer, I want you to ask God for how he would have you physically engage in the battle. Again, the battle being taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus into your communities and into the world. So your prayer might look like this. Praying for someone you know personally to receive Jesus Christ, to put their faith in Jesus, to experience the life transformational power that comes through faith in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Maybe it comes, or maybe your prayer is gonna be praying for an opportunity for you to share your own personal faith story with a neighbor or a coworker or someone in your community. Maybe your prayer is gonna be praying and asking God how he wants you to begin serving here at Illuminate. If you are not serving in your local church body, you are missing out on a huge way that God wants to bless you and bless others through you. Maybe you are a CEO, an owner, a president, or someone in leadership in your organization, and you have the ability to control the culture. And I would encourage you to pray every day for the next seven days on how God would have you start moving the culture of your organization in a way that better reflects the kingdom and reflects Christian values. Maybe you're gonna pray for the next seven days on how you can begin to lead your family better and begin to point your kids towards Christ. Maybe your first battle, though, is dealing with the mess that your heart and soul are in. Because you know that before you can really enter the battle, you gotta take care of the battle that's going on inside. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to pray over the next seven days for the next step God would have you take in your journey of healing. And it might not be for everybody in this room, except for Kirby kind of just said it is for everybody in this room, so I guess I won't say that. But Celebrate Recovery is an amazing ministry. And more than Celebrate Recovery and the ministry that that is, Kirby and his team are some of the best people you will meet. And so I encourage you to go talk to them afterwards. Lastly, maybe you're here today and you aren't a Christian. And if that's you, I'm genuinely so excited you're here. Non-Christians are just way more fun than Christians. But seriously, I'm so glad that you're here. And I want to say this, this Jesus we talk about and we sing about, he's not some far off removed deity, but he's close and he's near and he's personal. I think the greatest desire every human has is to be known and to be loved. And the greatest fear we have is that if someone ever fully knew us, it'd be impossible to love us or accept us. But what we find in the person and work of Jesus is that you are fully known and fully loved. I want to prove to you just how much God does love you. See, Peter wasn't the first person we see in Scripture arrested and sentenced to be executed during the Jewish festival of unleavened bread. That's also when Jesus was arrested. But God loved us so much that he did not break Jesus out of jail, but rather he gave Jesus up to death on a cross to reconcile our relationship with God that had been distorted by sin. But the good news is that Jesus did not stay dead, but three days later rose from the dead, and in his resurrection he said that light, or that death does not have the final word over him and death does not have the final word over your life. And when you put your faith and hope in Jesus, when you make him Lord of your life, you have an eternity sealed with his peace, his hope, and his joy and his love. And the even better news is this. You don't have to wait till you die to experience those things. When you give your life to Jesus, when you put your faith in him, when you say, Jesus, you are Lord in my life, you experience his hope, his joy, and his love. And that is the best news we have in this world. And as if I needed any more proof of God's power, consider this with me. How crazy is it that I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona, 7,000 miles from Jerusalem, 2,000 years later after the book of Acts, preaching the exact same gospel message about the hope we have in Jesus that they were preaching then. But we shouldn't be surprised because how does chapter 12 end says this in verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. This week as you're praying, let's remember, faithful prayers prepare and engage our hearts for battle. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are relational. We thank you that you are not far off and removed, but that even you coming as a baby and as a human was to show us that you want to get your hands dirty with us, that you want to be in the battle with us. And Jesus, we thank you so much that you did go to that cross to die for the sins that we committed. God, not a single one of us is innocent. And I thank you for your resurrection, the hope of the world that there is life, that there is hope, that even death does not have the final word over our battles. God, but you have already won the war, and you have declared victory. Jesus, I pray that that good news of your gospel would not be something that we too easily pass over. Jesus, I pray that it would be something that gets us excited, that reminds us of the passion that we once had to live on mission for you, and that we would take your command and ask one seriously to take the gospel out into all of the world. So Jesus, I pray for boldness for Illuminate Community Church. Boldness in sharing our stories. Boldness in sharing about you. And knowing that that boldness comes from the fact that we have the greatest news in the entire world and that we are going into a world that is hurt and broken and in desperate need of that news. Jesus, I pray that everyone here has a safe and fun 4th of July. Thank you for all the freedoms that we experience in this life. Jesus, in your name, amen.